Welcome to the Apple of Truth, a podcast that despite our original intentions has grown into pure Neil Gaiman appreciation. So let us take you on a journey through everything Neil himself has ever written. Currently, we are covering The Sandman and hope to enrich your dreams and haunt your nightmares. I'm Vero. And I'm Lena. And this is Season 1, Episode 1, Sleep of the Just. <laughs> I really hope that the just is not a person. <laughs> oh my god, no! Wouldn't that be shitty, huh? No! What if the security guy's name is Just? The righteous, the just, the good. I know, but it would be really wow. funny if the securities guy's name was Just because his sleep is the most important in the episode. And Just is short for Justin or... Yeah. Okay. Um... Before we get more into this, we probably <laughs> should say thank you to our patrons who support us every month. If you want to be one of those amazing people, you can find us at patreon.com slash T-I-O-T podcast. Indeed. Uh, There are various ways and we are starting on one euro per month. So please do check us out and send us your money. Or your opinions. Vero, did you know anything about the Sandman before you watched this episode? So you might recall... No. (laughs) When we did the part of this podcast, when we were covering this little show called Lucifer, semi-famous in the world. I don't really know if people remember it. I've watched one or two episodes. Because the show is loosely based on these comics, which I have not read. We used to do little deep dives on different characters and you would tell me little snippets from the stories of the comics. And I remember exactly half percent of everything you've ever told me. So I remember about nothing. Amazing. I feel so appreciated. I know that I will remember some names, like the Corinthian rings a huge bell, and I know it's going to be very bloody there because you mentioned something like that, but that's about everything that I remember. What else do I know? I know the cast, I know the the actors who are involved in this rendition of the Sandman because I have eyes and I have social media. (laughs) And you didn't block everything relating to the Sandman the first day of mentioning. Yeah, since the announcement of the cast went live until today, I have lived online at least a little bit, no, not very actively. Mm -hmm. And I am very good at blocking things out that are probably relevant, but why wouldn't I know people who were cast into this? But that's pretty much it. I know there's a dream. I know (laughs) there's a raven. (laughs) Yes. And that's kind of the extent of this. Okay. You had not known about the endless and dreams siblings of uh, which a few get mentioned in this episode. It rings a bell because you've probably talked about it to me, to my face, into my ears, but only in that context. Only the yes. devils in the details back when we did Lucifer is where you got Indeed. your information. So what about you? I am familiar with snippets and excerpts from the comics. I do not own a single volume as a whole. Like as Oh, a I do. So there are other ways of 
knowing these things, let's put it that way. Once we started this a few years ago, there was a hope that at some point we might be talking about something like this. So I held myself back from going too deep into it. And when season one came out for the very first time, I watched a few episodes before I managed to reel myself back in. Because thankfully life got really busy and then it was okay for me to be like, okay, I cannot watch this right now and instead watch it later with you. I am nearly fully spoiled on season one, so I know a lot about what happens in the season. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if everything is exactly as I was led to believe on some levels. And I will hold back as always as much as I can. I am fully familiar with the Endless, with the siblings, with various of their backstories and various of their interactions. Mm -hmm. There is a lot. (laughs) As per usual, much better informed going into this than I am. Yes, and I will keep asking you potentially stupid questions just to gauge certain reactions and interpretations and predictions from you. Alrighty. Yay! Sounds like fun! Before we go into the actual episode, there is... One thing, or rather two things, or rather three things that we have to do. Mm. First, of course, is the summary of this week's episode. We talk about episode one, and my summary reads as follows. A horrible man catches dream instead of death, plunging the world into an even worse state than it was already in. For over a hundred years, we follow Dream's captivity until he is released and begins his quest of rebuilding the Dreaming and capturing all of his creatures and creations. Mm-hmm. You have managed to leave out all the other horrible people in the episode. Because they don't matter. But we'll get to them in the detailed overview. Who in this matters aside from Ethel? But we're going to talk about Ethel. So. Yep, we certainly will. <laughs> So for this segment, we have thought very long and hard (laughs) as to what new element to bring to the pod. And you know what? I thought about it, realized we do not have enough thirst in here. Do you remember the days of the guy liner appreciation? Ooh. That was the last time we focused on at least some level of thirst. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you. It is time for some thirst. Mm -hmm. So for this segment, we can go basic, but we don't have to go basic. (laughs) Do we ever go basic? Well, I think that I might start a little basic. Eh, We'll see about that. But I think that this is going to grow into a little fun thing that we're going to have because knowing us, it's never going to be the obvious. We so far still haven't said what the segment actually is. It's a thirsty segment. The thirsty segment. Okay, I thought it was just the hottest dream moment segment, not a general thirst segment. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I think that for this episode, it's going to be the general hot dream moment because let's face it, he was certainly the hottest thing about this episode and not just because he wasn't wearing any clothes for absolute majority of it. But hopefully, eventually, we're going to outgrow the obvious and (laughs) get into a more nuanced, thirsty moment. Okay, okay, so we're not going to limit our first to just dream, except in this episode where we will do that. Okay, well, Vero, then do tell what is your thirstiest 
moment when it comes <sighs> to dream? I had several. Uh, surprising. <laughs> this is a very difficult decision to make <laughs> because basically every time he does the dumb look, like the very strong this looking down. This is the first down. time you using this vocabulary. Usually it's <laughs> me using this type of vocabulary. I'm ecstatic. I am here for it. Please continue talking. I'm so sorry. You know exactly what I'm talking about though, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't tell you which one is the best, but I'm going to go with a specific one just to kind of make a clarification. And that will be when he realizes that Alex might be his way out mm -hmm. before Alex kills Jessamy mm -hmm. when he comes down to him and starts talking to him and when he asks Dream are you okay in there mm -hmm. and the look that he gives him is like of course you're not of course you're fucking not and that whole connection when he starts playing around with it, mm -hmm. I think that's definitely the top five. I mean, top one. Yep. I don't really disagree. It's just that my focus lies differently. Mm -hmm. I picked two options because they are very different. I wasn't sure if you wanted me to go classic first and focus on physicality. <laughs> we can do that also. I picked one physical first moment and I picked one dumb moment. <laughs> My obvious dumb moment is literally every single time Dream talks. Mm -hmm. The way he speaks, like just the first few words of him saying we begin. It's just like, okay, I'm here. Like, yes. Mm -hmm. Like, you said we're beginning? Okay, we're beginning. I don't care what we're doing, we're, we're beginning. <laughs> yes. I forgot everything else in the world, this is happening now. Exactly. So, the way Tom Sturridge like, plays with the voice is yes. You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That would be my Tom Dream moment, basically. Because can you picture this voice <laughs> telling you that you're being a good girl? It's like, come on! Oh <laughs> I'm sorry. So we're just putting that out there. This segment is going to be interesting. You want it first, you're getting first. Well, you're welcome, listeners. But since I wasn't sure that you were not reducing this to just physicality, I did pick one physical moment because I actually was not very appreciative of having Dream naked in the sphere all the time mm -hmm. because I don't think it's very pleasant to play that. So that always takes me out a lot when I'm like, this must be very uncomfortable. This is not fun. Being naked on set also isn't fun. That always takes me out. So it took away a lot of the physical sexiness for me. Mm -hmm. There's one mm -hmm. exception. And that is in the dream with the guard. When we're at the dream beach and then everything oh. vanishes. Oh, and I know which one you mean. He hunkers, like he squats down. And it is so well done because you don't see anything without it feeling like, oh, we were being careful that you don't see anything. And the way he handles his body when he squats down is the first time I didn't feel awkward watching a naked man being trapped in a glass sphere. Mm -hmm. Where I actually felt that all of his limbs go where they're supposed 
supposed to be going because he seems extremely lanky, you know? Yeah. And yeah. just the control that he has over his body movement and the way it is framed from a camera point of view is just mm -hmm. fucking perfect. So that is my mm -hmm. physical first moment. Yep. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So there you go. You're welcome, everybody out there. We have decided to make this podcast a little bit more worth of the over 18. Yes. So there's not just cursing, there's also first, which is why Vero just took a drink and why it's getting hot in here. <laughs> Ooh, she is undressing. I just did my zipper up. Uh, down, not up. Down. Yes, down, down, down. The last stop, of course, before we can go into the actual episode for the first time, is the usual facts and fun segment. And Vero, I hope you have enough to drink because this is gonna be a bit. So some of these usual stops are gonna be a one time only because guess what? Some of the people are on every single episode, so we don't have to talk about them every single time. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. It was the same with like the first season of Good Omens as well, for example. So we're going to see how it continues in the second season of The Sandman. Let's start with the director, Mike Barker. This is his only Sandman episode. He has none other. Other works of him include 12 episodes for The Handmaid's Tale and four episodes of Outlander. I was surprised that for the first episode, we have someone who is not coming back. To the Sandman. Interesting. But it was very good. Yeah. So I was very surprised that he is not coming back for any of the episodes. I'm curious if maybe Sandman 2 is still in production and maybe he's coming back for that and we don't know that yet. I found it very curious. Yes, I agree. Then we have several different writing credits and I'm gonna get rid of this once and for all so we don't have to talk about it. We have developed by, we have a story editor, we have staff writers and we have teleplay writers. The developed by is always the same. It is Neil himself, obviously, but it is also two other people and we have to talk about these people. The first one is Alan Heinberg and he has written the screenplay for the Wonder Woman movie in 2017. He has also written for shows like The Catch, Grey's Anatomy, The O.C. and Party of Five. He is also executive producer for The Sandman and was also executive producer or at least co-executive producer for shows like The Catch, Scandal and The O.C. So decently enough resume. But now we go to the second person that joined the trio with Neil. And that is David S. Goyer. And he has written all the Blade movies, all three of them. The Batman trilogy by Christopher Nolan. He also <laughs> wrote the screenplay for Man of Steel in 2013. And many, many other things. He's also executive producer on The Sandman. And he was that for Foundation, Constantine, City of Demons, the animated movie, the animated series, and the regular series. He also was executive producer for both Ghost Rider movies with Nicolas Cage. So, wow. A lot of range, a lot of camp, which in my opinion is important when you do a comic adaptation. A love for the weirdness of the source material, and I think he is a perfect option for this. Okay. Aside from the developed by, we have the story editor, and that is the same one for all 11 episodes of season one. 
named Lauren Bellow. She has a super short resume. She has written one episode for Foundation. But previous to that, she was assistant to David S. Goyer. So obviously he brought her with him to work on The Sandman as a story Mm -hmm. editor. Then all 11 episodes have the same two staff writers. I don't know what a staff writer does because they don't write the entire thing. So Mm -hmm. we're going to have to look into that maybe in the future. The two staff writers are Catherine Smith-McMullen, who was a writing room placement for 12 episodes of Wentworth Prison, a writing room assistant for 39 episodes of Nowhere Boys, and several other shows. And that second one is Vanessa Benton, who has written one episode of How to Get Away with Murder and was production staff for 37 episodes of the same show. So, Hmm. once again, not the biggest resume, but they seem to bring something. Also, I appreciate that all three of these are women to balance out our three developed by men characters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, we have who wrote the teleplay. And that changes episode to episode. So that is going to be the future writing credit that I will talk about because I don't need to repeat myself with the other stuff. And episode one, the teleplay for this was written by Neil, David and Alan. All three of them together. Probably smart. Not surprising, but that actually does change in the future. And there's going to be other people involved as well. So that is going to be the writing credit. But aside from the basic with writer and director and various other writer bits, there is now time for IMDb trivia section. And there is some fun bits here this time. Let's get into it. The female guard, played by Naomi Cooper Davis, is reading Stephen King's It. This is nearly identical to the source material with two differences. The guard in the comic book is male, and the book's cover in the comic books is relatively featureless, while in a Netflix series, the covers from the novel's 2017 English language edition. Interestingly, King would later go on to write the introduction for World's End, collecting the Sandman issues 51 to 56. Hmm. During the introduction to the Dreaming, two portraits can be seen in the main hall. These portraits are of Geoffrey Chaucer and William Shakespeare, which obviously is quite fitting, as Dream is also the king of stories, among other things. As the raven Jessamie enters the palace in the Dreaming, filming locations include the Great Hall of the Natural History Museum in London and Lincoln's Inn Library, another Victorian building also in London. The main hall scenes were filmed in the Guildford Cathedral. Talking about Jessamie, the bird Jessamie is thought by some viewers to be a magpie due to her coloration, but that would be a mistake since people refer to Jessamie as a raven. She's not a magpie because her body is not the shape of a magpie. She is actually an African raven of the species Corvus albus, which is literally Corvus is a raven and albus is white, mm-hmm. also called the pied crow which gets its name from its distinctive white markings. I love that. Actual bird. I was also confused. It's supposed to be a raven, but what about the coloring? It's so weird. And I'm not good enough bird watcher to be uh, proclaiming this bird is such and such. So I do appreciate this fun fact. Of course, we have some timing issues. Because right after the title year 1926 appears, the son of Roderick Burgess is reading a book on the lawn. The book he is reading is 
A Handful of Dust by Evelyn Walk. This book was published in 1934. He's reading the book a little bit later when his father dies, so... The title card apparently is wrong. The title card should be 1936, not 1926, according to IMDb. Oh, okay. Interesting. We also have another problem there, because the title card says 1926. Another book that gets mentioned is... Vile Bodies, Mm -hmm. and that also only got published in 1930. So depending on if the title card is wrong or if the IMDb effect is wrong, there you go. But then there is one issue that is not dependent on IMDb facts, because I checked the credit list and we have an Alex Burgess H70 and an Alex Burgess H60 credited because it's two different actors. That, of course, does not work because he's supposed to be much older. He's supposed to be over 100 years old. Exactly. I'd say he would be like 110 or something. So in the crediting, that is a mistake, obviously. Because if you go by just the ages, it would mean that between the first time we see Alex and the last time we see him, Dream's imprisonment was only 64 years. There's a reason for that, because... In the comics, Dream was in prison for 70 years. But in order to bring the story up to the present day, it was changed to over a hundred years. And to accommodate that, the ruby gets the additional effect to prolong people's lives. This trait does not exist in the comic. So they did not want to change anything in the basis where and when the happenings were. And to move it into the now times, they simply prolonged the length of Dream's imprisonment, which I actually appreciate because otherwise it would have been like slightly off. And so I Mm -hmm. actually kind of appreciate that. Yeah, it's very good. That concludes the facts and funs for this episode. Delightful. Uh, Delightful. And with that out of the way, we kick this off with a very good voiceover. Mm -hmm. Literally, my first note is his voice heart. There is a first point that is very good that Dream makes when he talks about the land, the world that humans like to call the real world as what we do isn't ever affected by our dreams, which is a really good point. And I feel like a little called out there. Thanks, (laughs) Dream. Did you notice or can you rather confirm for me the music in the opening is off key. There is like moments where the music drifts into disharmony. I did not peg that at all. Because I'm pretty sure it happens throughout the episode because the camera, the angle, the lens and the music all work with distortion? Yes, they do definitely work with distortion, but I have not copped on the music level. You have to go through it again, especially <laughs> when you do a Devils in the Music, because I'm pretty sure some of the music is deliberately made to sound disharmonious, disharmonious, or however you say it. Hmm. Like, I will have to go through it again. Or like It's literally the beginning when you have the voiceover and we follow down over the woods, like right away, and when we go down to the carriage... You you have the first disharmony. At least I hear it, so I don't know if it's my imagination. <laughs> I think I was just so... Preoccupied with the voice? Well, that. But I was also overwhelmed by uh, the uh, visuals of this. 
Yeah, that that I wasn't paying as much attention to the music. It helped that I had already seen this episode before I watched it the first time for the podcast, and I watched it twice and a half for the recording. Mm. You had to go back. Yeah, I only watched it twice. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have to check it out. So Ooh. I need you to confirm that because you're the music ear. I'm not. <laughs> I will do my best. But with the camera and the angles and the lenses and everything, I'm gonna try to not point it out every single fucking time, but I'm gonna be pointing it out repeatedly because it changes the entire feel. Mm-hmm. And The perception is very different, yeah. I don't want to go too much into the behind-the-scenes stuff that I've already come across, but apparently people had an issue with it when watching it. As in that it, some people were like, oh, it makes me uncomfortable. Some people, oh no, it just looks bad. Like, there apparently was some, like, reaction to it, which, in my opinion, when art creates a reaction, it already has done part of its job. So Hmm. people having a reaction to this different visual choice is already very intriguing to me. Yeah. And so I'm curious. It's definitely part of art to to create a reaction. And if the reaction is strong enough, that's where you succeeded. Yeah, so I'm, I'm... Curious what else I find out about that. Mm. All right. We get taken through the dream realm. The dream. In a way, uh, through following the raven around. And it's just this beautiful visual journey because we go from through the gates and we see the hands lifting up the bridge. And on the bridge, we have the guy that we just saw falling asleep in the carriage. So behind him, there are the hills that are shaped as a woman that is sleeping, which is absolutely I did stunning. not catch that. I was way too busy with the tiny details that I did not lock into the background. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. This is one of the reasons why I wrote it down, because I was like, Lena's not going to see this. No, I was on every little fucking detail. Yeah, and then we fly into the palace and there is a dragon above the entrance and everything. It's just this There's a griffin, a dragon and a pegasus. It's the three of them like in an arc over the entry. Incredible. Yeah. Love it. Also, given how the story pans out and the terrible demise of Jessamy, I really do appreciate that we start this journey with Jessamy. Like, they make sure we already have feelings for the fucking bird to then rip her away from us in one of the most cruel possible ways. I hate it so much. Oh my god. We'll but get it's really it. well done. So, it is incredibly fuck well done. Them. <laughs> yep. Now we can go inside, yes. (laughs) We go inside and we also hear in the voiceover that the dream is not just the king of dreams, but also nightmares. Yes. So this is already giving us a little bit of an idea of what this is going to be like. And we go inside, we see somebody with a pumpkin head painting a wall, except it's not a wall, it's a corridor that brings us into a library. And the library is not just a library, it looks like a church. And then suddenly the side of the church kind of uh, opens up into the cathedral hallway or whatever it is and then finally we get to see dream mm-hmm. standing there and the raven circles and lands on his shoulder and then they are complete it's mwah. it's cinematographically it's absolute symphony it's so beautiful to watch i found it way too entertaining that the cleaning person has a pumpkin head i know it's so good and i'm pretty sure there's like lore on pumpkin heads or pumpkin headed creatures rather Mm. and like not gonna lie 
this episode alone would have given me at least 17 different topics for a devils in the details. So I don't Delightful. even know what to pick to get started and how to pick in the future because I don't think it's going to get any less dense when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. At this point, we are introduced to a first of the bigger characters besides Dream, and that is Lucien. We assume she's going to be bigger. We only see her here for a short moment and at the end. It feels like she's going to be Dream's right hand and the only loyal subject that he had left. So I would assume... Exactly. She has put it I would be very surprised if she wasn't important for what's coming next. I also want to point out that in the voiceover, right before Lucien shows up, Dream mentions that he is controlling his creatures, the creations that he made, lest they consume and destroy you. And that means that here we already have the information that his creations have power over humans and that they are dangerous to us. So, mm -hmm. And as Lucien says, the dreams rarely survive in the real world, unlike the nightmares that seem to thrive. Yeah, but like, that, that's, that's later. Like, before Lucien even shows up, we get the information that, like, lest they, they consume yeah. and destroy you. And I think that does not only, like, relate to nightmares, because, like, getting lost in dreams and basically letting your life waste away while you get hung up on a dream is already something that can destroy your life. And mm -hmm. so I like the implied warning how dangerous dreams and nightmares can be before we even know that they are properly personified and walk and yeah. talk in flash. So I, I really appreciated that. Also, I'm curious, the three colors that he is in front of that are with the glass stain and everything where we have like movement and the glass stain to mm -hmm. get the example creature. It's very deliberately done in three different colors. And it's blue, mm -hmm. red, green. And I'm curious if that is going to have like some meaning or if there is a reason for it. Because it seems so incredibly deliberate. Hmm. So, yeah. I'm seeing reasons everywhere. <laughs> Amazing. Dream doesn't listen to the warning and the presentiment Great word. that Lucien comes with. And he decides that he needs to deal with this thing on Earth. With the Corinthian. And he uh, throws some sand around and disappears. I do wonder though, is the Corinthian stronger than other creations? And that is why Morpheus has to go out there and collect him himself? Is this a normal everyday occurrence that is part of Dream's life? Because if so, why is Lucien worried? You know, like, we don't have a lot of information how all of this usually works. He's not surprised mm -hmm. that the Corinthian is doing what he's doing. But shouldn't he create Is it a precedence that is... Yeah. creatures that maybe don't do this all the time so it's like it's very curious to me it's very intense nightmare we can agree on that so uh, better the nightmare more powerful it is and maybe. we as humans give the power to the nightmare so you know i feel like it's a vicious circle that somehow got out of hand and i personally don't think that this is the first time something like this happened because he certainly knows what to do yeah he seems very used to it yeah, and he doesn't seem worried at all. Yeah. So, you know, that shows us that 
he might have some practice with it. And also the timing that Lucien uses with the, the dreams don't fare as well in the real world as nightmares. And that coupled with her worrying for dream makes me wonder if she considers dream weaker than a nightmare in some mm. sense. Interesting thought. So... I don't think so. It's, it's just curious. Like it's... Okay, he's going to hunt down one of his creations and she's like, oh no, I'm worried. Dreams don't fare well in the normal world. I'm like, yeah, but he's not just the king of dreams. He's the king of nightmares. Like, And I know yes. she has to present sentiment and everything but still it's like would he have been safe in the dreaming from being summoned because i don't think so i think so yeah i don't i think the only reason it works on him specifically is because he is the only one on uh, in the waking world at the time oh no 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 no. death is always there we're always dying yes but like, maybe he's <laughs> the closest to it or something i don't know but like i just assumed the way it was shown by not knowing anything else except for what they're showing us that the only reason it works on him is because he is there hmm. Okay. Or maybe he is currently using his power or maybe it's because he's using one of his items. Okay. I did not think that he'd be safe in the dreaming from the amateur summoning. But no, good point. We get our title card for the Sandman at 2 minutes 52 seconds. So after the title card, we come back to the carriage. Mm -hmm. We come back to the taxi or whatever that is. And the guy wakes up. Because we stop super fucking abruptly. Which is like, the driver is a dick. <laughs> I don't blame him, to be fair. Um, Why? But we get a title card that says Fawnerick, 1916, Winch, Cross. Yeah. So words that appear over the next couple of seconds. And I find this manner so incredibly creepy. It looks like it's gonna fall apart any minutes. The location adds to it and once again we have the camera work, the angles, the distortion, everything is happening. Plus every single person that we see is also creepy as fuck or already creeped out and making us more uneasy by being uneasy themselves. So it just adds everything together. We also get the chapter one card with the episode title, which curious that we have like so many title cards, information cards, ep uh, chapter titles, whatever. Like, There's it's... a lot of writing on the fucking screen. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of reading. Like I didn't sign up for so much reading. Yeah, if I wanted to read, I would read the comics. Exactly, you know? <laughs> I just found it very curious. And the first beautiful proof of what's his face being an absolute and complete twat. Roderick. Is that when the child opens the door, he says, He's like to be called Magus. It means sorcerer. Yes. I mean, that just shows that he's a bit of an insecure twat. But we get so many names in this scene alone. We get... And so many characters. Like, this is a bit unusual, I feel, for the first not even 10 minutes of an episode to info dump so many characters on you. Mm. Especially since so many of them are not even going to be around. So why do we even have to learn their names? You know? Well, it makes them more personable. Why would we need Mr. Sykes to have a name? He is not alive at the end of the episode because he simply like dies of old age, potentially. It's really curious to me because you have Morpheus, you have Lucien, you have Jessamy, you have John Hathaway, the doctor. You have the boy opening the door, who's Alex Burgess. Did we learn the dream's name no 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 like okay spoiler his name is morpheus um sorry <laughs> it's okay we have dream we have lucien we have jessamy we have john affaway who is the doctor that is coming with the car we have the magus aka roderick burgess we have the boy who opened the 
Dumbledore, who is Alex Burgess. We have the dead son, Rendell Burgess. We have Mr. Sykes. We have an entire fucking cult of people chanting, Into the darkness, into the... We are in the darkness. It's like so many characters and we're not even five minutes in. It's I know. And it just shows that you are who you are, that you wrote down all the names because I just went, um, that fucker over there wants his face. Uh, The child... I did write down Alex's name and the Order of Ancient Mysteries. Yes. And Randall, because he is important for the story movement. It's just like, I'm not used to this because this it. is not what we're like experiencing in the other shows that we watch, you know? So hmm. I found this extremely curious and I'm wondering if that is going to continue in the next few episodes. No, but of course, obviously you are right. Roderick Burgess is an absolute asshole and it just gets confirmed and confirmed and confirmed again. I literally started hating him before I even met him <laughs> yes. because of that. <laughs> And uh, he is played by Charles Dance, who I have seen in multiple other projects, as often he plays an older, creepy gentleman that is evil. He does unlikable very, very well. Indeed. I'm pretty sure he's a villain in in a Bond movie as well. That would not surprise me. I am not into James Bond, even remotely. Mm. So, again, something that's not surprising for you. So, Magus and the Doctor bond over the fact they both lost their sons in the war. I wouldn't say they bond over it. Like, obviously, there's history between the two of them. And in the past, the good Doctor was not willing to do what the Magus wanted of him. But now that he has lost his son, he is willing to change that. Yeah, as I said, they bonded over the loss of their both of their sons. I'm not saying that they're close, but they have a common cause right now. Yeah. And basically, they are turning into delusional, idiotic men who think they are gods and will proceed to ruin many lives in the next century because they are fucking idiots and men. I wouldn't say they're delusional. I think they have the tools to actually summon the Endless. And Yeah, I but am they actually... don't know who the Endless are. Yeah, because they were focused on one of them because they don't care about the rest. Like, it's knowing gods or more than gods is hard. But they're not delusional. They know that they can capture a creature like that and they successfully capture the creature. That is not delusional. Oh, no, they're not delusional about that they're delusional about the fact that they think that this is gonna bring their child back because they're grief stricken like I know delusion Mm -mm. I wouldn't call it delusion not at all. Like it's it's a it's a desperate attempt to get their children back. Mm-hmm. So not not delusional. Like they what they're doing has a potential chance of success. Like if they had actually captured death, who knows what would have happened? Probably the same thing or worse. That's the question. Like I don't know because Dream cannot give anything to Roderick. He says like not for humanity to have and not for me to give. He literally cannot give him anything. So I don't know if it's. I understood that sentence slightly. Slightly differently. Okay. I understood it as it's not for humanity to get and not for me to give means I may have the power to give it, but I am not somebody who is in charge of this to be giving this away. I think he would be able to do it Hmm. if he would use his powers, but it would fuck everything up even more because that is something that it's not his to give. But death and youth and immortality and wealth are not dreams powers. It has nothing to do with his powers and realms which is why I'm like not his domain basically like yeah I mean we can agree on that which is 
what leads me to believe that if they had caught another endless that had like a different realm, they might have been more successful with it. So as much as I dislike Roderick, I don't think he's delusional. I think he actually has a pretty decent plan, and it's, I'm was surprised that he was able to acquire all of these items that he needs later on. And that's another like, thing. I was more surprised that he did didn't that? try again. That is what was surprising to me. Why would you not try it again if you already know it works? Well, maybe he wasn't able to get the items again or he thought that dream is just not giving him what he wants maybe because he doesn't want to i mean money obviously wasn't an issue so i was surprised that we did not just get like a second try <laughs> that would have been mm. my approach like seriously it's like well already got one let's get the set <laughs> then again you're not an old white man <sighs> Uh, yeah. Who is unmistakable. So we learn, of course, that Roderick is a terrible father because Randall was his greatest joy and he literally could not care less for his other son, Alex. I wonder why, though, because usually it's more like, is it because his mother is somebody who he didn't love or that left him or... Maybe the what mom died there? giving birth to Alex and that made him yeah. hate that child. And resent him. I mean, I wonder what is the reasoning behind his displeasure with Alex, like constant hate on him. Also, later on, when we learn that Alex is gay, it might also play into that, because maybe from a young age on, Alex was already displaying the non-manly traits that men like Roderick require in their sons. Plus, of course, he wasn't the firstborn, so he already was, like, superfluous. (laughs) Yeah. But then when the firstborn is gone... And the second one is soft, then why would you embrace him? Yeah, but you need something to work with, is the thing. And he decides to work with magic. Yeah, exactly. He'd rather make a deal with the devil than accept his naive and soft second son. Which is all we need to know about what type of man Roderick Burgess is. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we start the ritual. We get to see a whole bunch of people walking down a corridor wearing these really fancy, really kind of cool-looking robes. I was kind of jealous. Yeah, look at the material. I hated them. They're so kitsch. They look so comfortable. Oh, wow. Okay, no, no. And Oh, my God. We're having the weirdest disagreements on this show that I did not expect. This is wild. Okay. Most importantly, absolutely incredible color. Great color. No. Okay, good. Um. It's dark purple. (laughs) What do you want from a color? be less shiny. <laughs> Color cannot be shiny. It is shiny. The fabric is... No, you're talking about the material now. It all goes together. Okay. Oh, okay. It is time for some summoning, which to me is hilarious because at the end of the season, we're going to do a summoning episode. So the context is... <laughs> better. Yes, right? And I kind of tried in the beginning to make excuses for Roderick because grief can make us do horrible, horrible things. I noticed, yeah. But I'm pretty sure he already was a horrible person before his son died. That he was. So, yeah. And Alex turned out surprisingly sweet and caring despite having that as a father mm-hmm. because the way he takes the doctor's hand and like joins the procession and like helps him know what to do when to do and where to go is really really kind and caring so yeah which is why it hurts me later on about what he does 
at this point, we still care for naive, poor Alex. Exactly. Mm. But mid this summoning, we uh, flash to Berlin, Germany. Yes. The name Corinthian is curious to me. And since I'm not sure if I might pick him for my devil's in the details, I'm not going to go into detail now. Basically, as I have put in my notes, I remember this character existing and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that we learned that he is a nightmare. And I was wondering, he didn't seem very scared the first moment when uh, Dream showed up. Mm-hmm. So I was like, why is that? Is he, and he, he's trying to reason with him. He's trying to tell him, why can't we do this in the waking world when we're already so good at it in the dream world? So, you know, we're even better at it here. So it feels like that's our purpose, which obviously doesn't bode well for him anyway but it's just this interesting approach that he has he doesn't seem to be a like afraid of dream as much as he maybe should be mm-hmm. because dream is his master essentially he is his creator he is in charge of him so why isn't he more obedient to him because that's not his nature that's not the way he was created in my opinion yeah but i have to say i was very impressed how creepy the actor for the corinthian which is boyd holbrook i don't know if Mm. you know the man Mm -hmm. have you watched logan Mm, yes he is in that. He plays one of the main bad guys in there. Oh. Yeah, he's Pierce in there. I've only seen it once and I cried too much, so I didn't want to watch it again. Okay. He does the off-puttingness very well, in yeah. my opinion. I have not seen a lot of the other things he's done. He also was in The Predator, which, <sighs> eh, not for me. Like in the one from 2018. And yeah. he also was like in a lot of other movies that have not the greatest ratings. So yes, I have watched a few. But mostly he does being subtly creepy very well for me. Unsettling. No, like I like subtle. Say. Yeah. So like You he... don't really know why and how. Yeah. But there's something weird and creepy about this person. And like unsettling. he actually is one of the people I would love to meet simply because I would like to know if he is as unsettling settling in person (laughs) that is a really good question you know i thought a lot of the way he speaks the accents of his that i couldn't quite place just felt really wrong and off-putting it's so wild everything the way he moves the way he smiles the Mm. way he carries himself the way he obviously like reacts and interacts with people around him But Mm. even him just standing somewhere is just like, (laughs) like, you know? (laughs) Yep. And I did not find the Corinthian especially creepy in the audio drama. So Mm. yeah, this visualization made the Corinthian a lot worse for me. So yeah, I'm I'm here for it. I like being made uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, Dream tries to take him back into the ruby. So I'm assuming back into his realm. The ruby apparently has the power to destroy or recapture Dream's creations. Mm-hmm. If he wants to bring them back, he might need it. So he is going to have to find his items of power before he bestows upon his quest. 
It also works well with the TV show edition that the uh, Ruby prolongs your life because mm. it was made to look like it was basically draining the Corinthian. So it would mm-hmm. make sense that it also can give back energy if it drains it, you know. Mm. So interesting, interesting. I appreciate it, that small but thing. Good for the Corinthian. Yes. About halfway through this situation, we start hearing here in the darkness. Here in the darkness. We go from here in the darkness to Roderick actually doing the summoning. And Mm -hmm. he counts down the things that he has gathered here to make a proper spell. And so the coin from stone, the knife from under the hills, and the blood from my veins are pretty standard ingredients in a spell. Like, that is Mm -hmm. child's play. This is something that I could have used back in my days. And then we go to a song stolen from the dirt. And I'm very curious what that is, because I have not heard of that. So Mm -mm. if any one of our listeners knows what that is, let me know. Did we see anything? No. Him anything? Adding anything? No? You can't see a song. Well, maybe it's the here in the darkness. Here in the darkness. I don't think so, but... Like, I don't know what a song stolen from the dirt is. Maybe it's the last breath of a dying person when they get buried. That would be my assumption. Hmm. And then lastly, we get an angel wing feather. And of course, that makes me wonder where the fuck did he get an apparently legit angel wing feather. So, yeah, that is... A clearly legit angel feather. Yeah. Another part of the casting is, of course, another shit ton of name drops that I will have to look at if I'm going to use them in the Devils in the Details section. Because we get Namatar, Alatu, Morax, Maborim, and Horvendile. And from the top of my head, not a single one of those rings a bell. And I'm pretty sure at least a few of them should. So, me! Mm. Work for me! <laughs> I call pagan bullshit on those. We'll see. Some proper pagan bullshit, yeah. So uh, he says, I summon you with the poison, summon you with the pain, and then he goes through all those names. And then one of my favorite visual moments of the episode, and that says something because this episode is so beautiful to watch, Mm -hmm. starts happening. And that is the weird spheric kind of a whooshing thing that starts happening inside the circle. It looks just so good in the space. I just, I found it incredibly well done. To me, the camera that we see like over the circle when Dream is in it, that is Mm -hmm. one of the stunning moments when he is still covered in his cloak and the items are laid out and his hands are like in Mm -hmm. the position. That is, like that is... That can be a poster. I mean, I'm pretty sure it is. I don't know. I feel like I've seen that before. It's really, really, really nice visual that we have there. And yes, throughout the uh, swooshing and whooshing, Dream finally shows up and is dropped in the middle of a circle. The fire comes back on, the candles that were blown, blown away earlier, and a silence covers the room. It's incredibly strong. Because right now, they actually think they fucking got the fucking angel of death, which... Damn, you know? Mm -hmm. They do think that. It's a bit funny. I mean, it would have been fucking hilarious if Ray Ray showed up, you know? Our actual (laughs) angel of death from the Lucifer TV show. Uh, And yes, I am well aware it's the interpretation and la 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 and everything. But still, what a fucking hilarious. Some things are funnier in my brain. So he lies there and we see the camera pen by his mask, the ruby and the pouch, which obviously are his items of power. Mm-hmm. And I'm very disappointed that the coat gets taken and apparently not mentioned again, because why is his coat not also awesome? I was so confused by that point. 
first of all, fuck Roderick for making Alex retrieve the first two items. I mean, yeah, it's horrible, because but also it's really smart. Use the spare child. Why not? Exactly. Who cares? It's horrible, but it's smart. Yeah, doesn't make me like him anymore. I can appreciate evil qualities without judging the morality. <laughs> he literally has 30 other people around him and he chooses his own blood that just shows how little he yep. cares about him. I'm pretty sure he likes every single one of his, what was the name? Ancient mystery followers more than he likes his own son. Yeah. Yep. Which is the worst. Yep. You could have asked the fucking doctor because that he actually would have been him even anymore. smarter. Yeah, that would have been actually even smarter because then he would have been rid of him. So, yeah, that would have been even smarter. He wouldn't have to deal for two people. He would just deal for one. Yeah, good point. We, of course, get here a Chekhov's moment with a mention of don't break the circle. So we know at some point someone is going to break the circle. I appreciate tiny shit like that. That's always had to happen. Yeah, but someone needs to say it. If nobody had mentioned that you're not supposed to break the circle, it would never have happened, you know? (laughs) What a way to look at it. (laughs) He decides, though, for some reason, the first two items, he couldn't retrieve himself. But the helmet, who could pull off his head by himself, which is interesting. I think he gets too greedy. I think that is the problem. I think at this point, once he realizes it seems to be safe, he is too greedy to let the fame of being the person of taking these items off death because that's who they think it is go to another person especially his soft weak baby son and i think that is what prompts him to step inside because now it seems Mm. safe enough and so now the glory is his yeah it looks like he wants to make sure that the creature inside the circle is not conscious and therefore cannot attack them as they are taking the things off him but it's just also that if you get too close to death that you don't instantly die or something so yeah yeah. And when he's taking off the mask or the helmet, it really fits around Tom's face. Mm-hmm. So when they pull it off, you can see that he really needs to put some strength into it. Yeah, he moves the head by trying to get it off. Ugh. Yeah, it's... Ugh. Ugh. I mean, in general, I'm not a fan of this type of mask. Not to kink shame anyone, but not for me. I don't do well with those full face covers. So, ugh. No, no, thank you. No, very much no. Yeah, it reminds me of the Doctor Who episode with the children. Mommy, are you my are mommy? You my mommy? Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, we take off the mantle. When he pulls off the cloak, and I called it mantle because I kind of expected this to also be related to the power. So mm-hmm. I was like being very clever with the mantle yeah the mantle (laughs) and yeah no because apparently sadly it's just a piece of fabric but most importantly it covered Jessamy Jessamy was with him while he was captured and she instantly attacks Roderick and here I'm gonna dare to criticize Jessamy because instead of attacking Roderick she should have attacked the circle yes but also she is only a bird after all I don't know how smart she is, but like, I feel this was the one chance that Dream had. Yes. I don't blame her, but it would have been 
No. Could have helped, yes. So train your pets better. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's put it this way. This is Dream's fault. Yeah. For not training Jessamy better. Yeah, of course. Also, I already love her and I only just met her, so shut up. I mean, we met her 90 minutes ago when we started recording, so... <laughs> no, but I, I'm yeah. fully with you. Jessamy is amazing and she is so loyal and she stays there the entire fucking hundred years, basically. No, until she gets shot, but like until the end of her fucking life. Now, they take everything away from him and we get a little bit more of voiceover now. Yes. We realize the impact of this being the case, him being imprisoned. What does it mean for the rest of the world the that the dream world. is gone? And it makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. So we get an example of the girl called Unity yes, that just me. doesn't wake up. But she's not the only one. And Dream mentions that one million people in the world. And we get to see uh, people being taken out on stretchers and stuff, which is quite intense. But the next morning, we are back into the mansion and we get a doorbell ringing. Yes. Nobody else is up. It must be really, really early in the morning. So the Magus himself goes to open the door and there's just a leaving car until there's not. Because the Corinthian is not just creepy by night, he's also creepy by day. And he already is on his way inside the house, which, I mean, come on, can't deny the creature got style. <laughs> oh, truly. But he also clearly can move either very fast or he can transport from one place to another because first of all he got there awfully fast from Berlin because I would assume that we are in England and he got there in, in just a matter of hours in the middle of a world war and second of all we don't see him and Roderick doesn't see him as he's coming out mm -hmm. but suddenly he's in the door it's made so, deliberately in a way that we don't know how did he get here I mean, I appreciate that he apparently still took a car to get there, so... Yeah, somehow. Why? What is the point of that? How did that happen? And that is kind of the question, like, did he do it to mess with them? Did he take the car because he needs to? We simply don't know enough yet about the Corinthian to, like, even make assumptions on that. We now get a lot of exposition from the Corinthian, which obviously is very, very much needed because we don't know anything and neither does Roderick. So we learn that the Endless are a thing. We learn that Dream is part of the Endless. We learn that Dream has siblings called Death, Desire, Destiny and Despair. Those are the names that we are already getting here. We also learn that Dream is more than a god and not a god which I mm -hmm. find a very interesting distinction, but that he's also yeah. still powerless there as long as he is in the circle. We also learned that the circle is not enough and that it is like really super fucking important that nobody fall asleep in his presence. And we also get the entire fucking instructions that he needs to be put into this fucking glass sphere. And I'm like, how do they get him in there? <laughs> they kind of show it. They kind of scoop him into it. I mean, we already see him lying in there while they weld the thingy shut. We don't see them nudging the naked body into like one half or something. I thought that there was a, like a little tiny I didn't half a second. See that. So I was very amused him into it. By, by it. And also because I'm me, I find it ridiculously entertaining that the endless 
which is a word with an E, all start with D instead of having a name that also starts with D for the family, you know? Like dream, destiny, destruction, it all starts yeah, with a no, D. Yeah, no, I know that they're but all the starting with endless E, so what do you... is with an E instead of having like a group name that also starts with a D. Oh, like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Because I'm okay. Me. Well, there is a D in the word. Yeah, but still, it's like it makes you wonder. So, do they have first names that then start with a C, and the D is their surname, and the E is the family name, or like whatever? You know, like this is how my brain works. Your brain is fucking weird. Yeah, especially sometimes. And I actually meant to look this up, but the Corinthian mentions forced march tablets, and I wanted to know if they were a real thing because yes. it feels like they must have been yes and i love hated this montage so fucking much because it's a great exposition dump mm-hmm. but it's also really really terrible i constantly expected dream to get out of there really i didn't expect him to be captured for this fucking long so i have every single time something is happening I was convinced this is the time, this is the moment when Dream is going to like wake up and fucking destroy them. Because every change in routine is a chance of escape. Like that is the basic truth of any and all jail situations. Exactly. So yeah, curious. That never even crossed my mind because I know how it goes. So I never even thought about that. But it's a really mm. good point. Yeah, it was very, very stressful this episode. Aww. I mainly didn't expect anything long term like that like years and years and years what to wrap up this moment this montage the magus walks the corinthian outside and the corinthian notes we're being observed we're being observed he throws a stone into the tree and jessamy gets up there it is where we learn her name yeah and jessamy, my we heart. learn that she is there for dream and she belongs to him yeah so she will not go away yeah and Roderick will have to deal with her, which he tries, but he fails. Mm-hmm. So that is really he nice. Did. He does, yes. Now the montage is done and Roderick is becoming and solidifying himself as a proper fucking villainous asshole by coming into the basement to interrogate Dream to show him that he has an upper hand somehow. It was so fucking hilarious that he starts this entire conversation asking Dream if he is awake. Oh, oh, the irony. It's like, it's an even worse question than Alex later on asked with the are you okay? Because that is like always bad, so it's not as special. But asking the literal Lord of Dream if he's awake is kind of like, does Dream even dream? You know, like there's so many meta levels that I was like, (laughs) Uh, so I appreciated that moment. But yeah, of course, you're absolutely right. Roderick solidifies the fact that he is an incredible asshole. But we also have another incredible visual moment because at the mention of his name, Dream opens the one eye Mm -hmm. and we have this like light reflection in his pupil that make his eye look less human basically. And that is so well done. That entire frame, Mm. the way his body is folded into uh, the sphere 
It's very distorted to me. It feels like it's not in a natural position at that point. It feels like you would take a bunch of wood pieces and just pile them up. It's a puppet. Randomly. Yeah, like a dropped puppet. Yeah, because like to me, the flesh suit of Dream is not human in that sense. So yeah, he moves. It's a physical not... representation of him, as Corinthian called it earlier. And so he is not supposed or restrained by the movement of normal human beings and so his body being contorted into different positions makes sense i'm just mostly curious how they did it with having a normal human actor for this <laughs> it's all camera work because if you really stop it and like try to figure out what limb is which you can and you like i I have an idea of how he is in there, mm. but the way the angle that they shoot this from makes it look so bizarre. Yeah. Purposefully, obviously. So it just, it gives exactly the, the correct feeling that it's supposed to. I really love that. Mm. We obviously also get the Roderick calling the items he took off Dream gifts, which is just like the fucking dot on the fucking eye he stole those items from him he took them forcibly and now he's like i'm gonna enjoy the gifts you gave me <laughs> like fucking dr evil right there so yeah. fuck you <laughs> then we get day after day he pleaded for gifts and then it's 10 years later wait 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 so Roderick leaves with the, he drops the, oh, I'm going to enjoy my gifts. But Alex is there and he follows his father. But before he does that, Dream looks at Alex. Yeah, he lifts his head and looks at him. Exactly. The first time he moves, before that, we don't see him move. And to me, this is the first time Alex had the chance to defy his father, smudge the circle with his shoe, just be an idiot, you know? Hmm. Smudge it with your shoe. Because I'm pretty sure Dream would have left his prison, destroyed Roderick, and not harmed Alex, you know? Yeah. So this was the first chance of many for Alex to do the right thing. And this is where I still feel for him. Because we are in agreement very soon it's going to change. I felt for him until the Jessamy moment. Right before that, I already stopped. Like, it's with, with Ethel and everything. But we're going to talk about that. And before we go to 10 years later, we have more voiceover where Dream talks about Roderick demanding things that are not meant for humanity and are not his to give. And so I remained silent. And that line is terrifying because like, come on, okay, you're an endless fucking being. You're apparently completely immortal and everything. Being stuck in a fucking glass sphere with nothing to do and not talking. Like, seriously, I would fucking go insane. Yes, however, because he is endless, this is a speck of a sand yeah. in his time. But still, like, I am curious how, like, because at the very end, he's like, do you know what it was like? So I'm like, okay, so it was like something for him. It wasn't like mm -hmm. relaxing or he didn't care or whatever. So it is very, very curious to me with the... I think that the... How do I you think pass? the biggest do you know what it was like was not as much regarding to him and his own well-being. I think it much more regarded to the fact that he knew that the world is going to suffer if he's not going to be out. And I think that he self-tortured him 
because of that. I saw the do you know what it was like was for him and the do you know what you did to the world is the external thing. So, I mean, we're also going to make a fucking question list for this. So we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see what all of those disagreements I put on the question list for the future to debate and re-debate. And now, as you said, we go to 10 years later to 1926. We are now at a party. Alex is still the poor, mistreated, shunned son who is basically a servant and has to follow the orders of the other servant who still treats him much nicer than his own fucking father. Mm-hmm. And he is ushered outside to uh, do his job. This scene is only here because we need an introduction to Ethel. This is the literally only reason why we have this. So he gets harassed. She shows up. She does some amazing one-liners. Like, we're all here. I hope we agreement Team Ethel all the way. Because she is resourceful. She's smart. She's pretty. And she doesn't take shit from anyone. So, uh-huh. yay, Team Ethel. Even though I'm still not a fan of her, but compared to like the options that we have in the human world, she's basically the only option for the humans. So, yay, Team Humanity has one player. And she has all of them fuck off by basically telling them that Alex might do magic and curse all of their, or hex all of their unborn children by looking very pointedly at their ball sacks, which I found Hilarious. Very smart. Yes. Very, very smart. When they all finally fuck off, she goes, I bet you can do magic anyway, right? And he goes, I can't do much of anything really. And I'm like, Alex, maybe go to therapy because this is not healthy. Yeah, no, he is. uh, He is lost from the beginning. He has been basically told his entire life that he is not good enough. Yeah. He not has be, have been just told, he have been shown by the actions of his father. And regardless of any kind of kindness that he has been shown by the rest of the people in the house, he clearly grew up in a very, very, very bad and toxic environment. He was verbally and potentially physically abused basically his entire upcoming. So breaking out of that requires a certain type of luck. And strength mm-hmm. and circumstance. I was really hoping that Ethel would be there for him in a way. She but is she self-serving. Seems who she she is. Yes, yeah. but she's there very much for for herself and for her own agenda. So, yeah, which I can get on board on because oh, fuck I Alex. I do like <laughs> Ethel. I do like Ethel after this episode. But you know, I was hoping at this point that she would be maybe a little beacon for Alex. Yeah, to me. Alex already had lost a lot of ground because the level of naivete Alex is displaying despite the way he grew up to me made no sense and was honestly kind of grating. I don't think that he was naive. I think that he was just trying to find other avenues and from the reaction... so. Let's just get into this scene. It's the morning after the party. And the orgy. I mean, come on, people are lying naked on couches. I'm pretty sure it was an orgy. Alex is walking through the house and picking up things. And there are people sleeping. So that, first of all, that makes me wonder how far away from dream you can actually sleep. Does it have to be only, are you not only allowed to sleep in the room he's at where he can see you? I think it's a visual connection, yeah. Okay. Then we have a little break that dream catches it seems like. Because the two guards that were guarding him overnight don't want to be there anymore. Because their shift has ended. Yeah, but the new guys haven't showed up yet. Mm-hmm. So uh, Alex hears this and he offers to look 
after Dream himself, which leads me to believe, and even based on the reaction that Roderick has in a second, he is not allowed there. He is not, not allowed to interact with Dream at all. Yeah. But this means to me that the way he approaches him is not naivete. The way he behaves at this point is not naivete. To me, it's something where he is watching his father day after day, going down there and not allowing him to try. He's been trying to think up other strategies to get Dream to talk. And he finally sees the opportunity to prove himself to his father and try his own approach, which is soft and kind in a way. And incredibly stupid and naive. Obviously stupid, but he doesn't know that because nobody has ever clearly tried it this way or he doesn't have a knowledge of that because his father is very single-minded. He literally goes down there and it's like, oh, just give him something and then he's gonna let you out. I would let you out if I could. What are you, a fucking idiot? The father is like, seriously, dude, you grew up with your dad. You know he's not gonna let him out. So telling Dream like, oh, I'm sure he's gonna let you out and actually believing that because yes, I think he actually believes it. Yes, yes, he does. And this is why we are viewing this situation slightly differently because I don't think he actually believes that. Why would he be like, I would let you out if I can't? Why would he say that? Because he's not manipulating him. No, because he would. He believes every single thing he says, including that his dad would let him out if he only gave him something. No, sorry, Alex is a fucking idiot. Seriously. I don't think so. I don't agree with you on this one. And I'm going to stand my ground there and we we should leave it there because otherwise we're going to go in. No, 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 the worst, the worst. The fronts have been made clear and there is no movement. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I also didn't really care about Alex in this moment because he already is like down my shit list. They fuck off, Alex goes down, and he does the whole, oh, I could, I would leave you out if I could. And obviously, this is exactly the moment that the father speaks up. It's like, oh, of course you would. Uh, I could never trust you. Because Roderick is fucking paranoid. And that also does not come as a surprise. <laughs> not at all. Especially if you're living with such a massive secret. I think he was paranoid before and so just got like uh, emphasized by it. Oh, yeah. Also, this is the moment where we learn that Alex calls his father, not father or dad, but he calls him Magus, which Mm -hmm. is another step of distance between familial relations when you're not even verbalizing the relation that you have to each other. Yeah. So. I agree. Damn. We can see immediately here that Roderick is very keen on murdering Alex and he would have killed him if Jessamy didn't interrupt them. Do you think so? I think he just yeah. would have beat him up probably for the umpteenth time. I don't know. He literally said, do you want to die? That can be arranged or something like that. So, yeah. and as he lifts up the really heavy looking metal ended thing, yeah. stick that he has. To so me, it felt I so routine. Between the two of them. Sadly, I'm pretty sure that uh, the, the abuse is rampant in that relationship. I believe that he beats him up, but it felt different. Okay. Like watching this, I thought that he was actually going to kill him. And I think that is why Jessamy decides to knock on the window to interrupt the situation to get his attention and save Alex. I mean, we also have Ethel showing up with Roddy. like Only afterwards, though. Yeah, but like it, it still was like basically the same timing. So even if Jessamy hadn't intervened, you know, I feel like Jessamy is more capitalizing on the confusion. Because, like, she's paying attention to everything. So it's like, ah, maybe this is something. You know, a change of routine is a chance of breaking out a dream. So I was looking at it more that way. Because I don't think either Jessamy nor 
Ethel actively care enough about Alex to like step in, you know? I saw it more as a window of opportunity. But so yeah, we have the whole... A, we get Ethel's name here, which we didn't get before that. So when she comes in, it's like, ready! We have Ethel, yay. And of course, we have the whole... I've been hunting this bird for 10 years. Do something useful. Here's the gun. Go and shoot the fucking bird. And then, of course, we have a beautiful transition with Alex going out to try to hunt down the bird, but Jessamy flying into the building. And then we have a lot of Jessamy adventures. I loved this part so much. Like watching it, I was so convinced that this was going to happen. I was 100% on board with Jessamy breaking him out. She's about to go inside and she sees a human walking past. So she makes a left turn into the study (laughs) and then she sees Roderick coming in. So she freezes. So she looks like a stuffed bird. Because she is within the other stuffed animals. So her camouflage skills are amazing. It is so good. And it's so smart. And she sees that he lights up the match. And at that point, you can see in her eye that she has a plan. The intelligence, like... It's so good. So she sets the newspaper on fire. The place starts burning up. People run out of the dungeon. She flies in. I'm like... Go fucking Jessamy, this is happening. Fuck yeah. And he is the same way because you see Dream stand up. And he has tears in his eyes because he's so happy to see her. And this is the first time we see him have a little half smile as well. Yeah. And you can see the kindness and the love in his eyes when he's looking at her. Yeah. And suddenly she's fucking gone. Well, she is not gone. She is smeared all over the glass. (laughs) Which... Damn, like the effect that they did, that was uncalled for and impressive. Yeah, as much as I understand that Alex is trying to please his father and prove to him that he is worth his love, this is when I'm done with him. Before that, I was like, oh, come on, you're just traumatized kid. Now I'm just like, no, there is no coming back. And... Oh yeah, there's no coming back from this. So is Dream. Which, it takes a, a bit until we get to that moment. But yeah. Yeah. But for me, most importantly, we see Dream cry. Like, Dream is silently, but properly crying for Jessamy. As in, tear and snot. Which mm-hmm. makes him so much more human than mm-hmm. one probably would have expected for an endless being like Dream. Because... The capability of loving another creature that much that you mourn their violent death like this is something that especially does not get attributed to gods or godlike creatures. Because usually to immortal beings, death means very little. And so I really appreciated the humanizing side effect that we have with him mourning the death of Jessamy. Because that is a level we had not seen of him before. We have seen him as a ruler in the very beginning of the episode. We have seen him as stoic. Despite being a prisoner, he still seems to be in a certain level of control. And this is the first time that we see a very genuine, human-like, softer emotion. And so as sad as I am that Jessamy is dead, this gives us a whole other level of who and what dream is so i'm very much here for it yeah i am very much not in favor of fridging any characters even (laughs) if they are birds 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I was sad for Jessamy, but I didn't mind it because like it served a really good purpose because this was also needed for him to be petty against Alex later on. Without that, he oh, yeah. would not have had the reason. So this is a case of fridging that I could live with. And that's good for you. At this point, I mourn Jessamy forever. <laughs> I hate Alex. I hope he dies soon. Well, and I hope everybody in that fucking castle dies very soon because it's all of their fault. Because I'm me, I obviously had an issue with them cleaning up the mess and Jessamy's blood being on the circle and that not breaking the circle. Oh, yeah. The, the color underneath it is not smudged. Yeah, but, but when you I clean was, it up. Was, well, they didn't. They just picked up the body of, of Yeah, but her. later on, there are no leftovers. So at some point, someone cleaned up the leftover debris of Jessamy. On the glass. No, 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 not the glass. Like there, there was like stuff on the on the floor on the golden lettering of the circle. So I'm like, how do you clean this up without smudging the circle? That does not really work. So that was my issue. <laughs> At that point, I was like full on on board for Jessamy breaking him out. And then when she dies, I was like, and because he's an idiot who shot her on top of the circle. <laughs> Her death is not going to be in vain. Yeah, that would be great. Because her death w- will break the circle and he will get out. Yeah. So that is the third time I was convinced that he was going to get out. The corpse should have broken the circle because part of her body dropped onto the circle and that should have broken it in my opinion, but apparently it didn't. And so we go into another voiceover from Dream because he talks about the world being soon at war again. We go to London, England. It's still 1926, but we're now in London. And honestly, I don't understand what this scene is for. Why do we go to London in the same year just to show us the hospital and Get more voiceover info on the sleepy sickness. It's just showing off that this is not changing, that this is giving us more yeah, but we of a background. Like that. this is not just like how do we know that this is still happening to, uh, to the same people ten years later? Because Dream is still in captivity. Why should it change? Like seriously, this scene like, it's so fucking short. I know, but like this scene did not make any sense to me. Yes, we get to see Unity again, and we get the info that some people also simply cannot sleep. Also, Unity kind of looks about the same age no 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 no. she looks 10 years older she was a yes she was a child child and now she's a teenager child still no she looks like a teenager all right i'm also pretty sure it's a different actress but i did not i did not check her credits to be fair (laughs) because she doesn't have any lines But yeah, we are getting the addition of the fact that it's not just people who can't wake up, but it's also people that cannot sleep. That the fact that the disturbance in the sleeping patterns is so huge that it's not affecting people in just one way. And we get a name of the illness. We get another name because like in the beginning it was the sleepy sickness and now it's encephalitis. Lethargica. Great. Which, yay. But we also, the hospital is the Marlene's hospital so since there was a name i took note of it we shall see if we come back after this totally relevant moment we go back to the castle boy meets boy obviously that happens and you know what to me this was more about giving us a little bit of an insight into alex rather than anything else who you don't care about but it's something that you've mentioned earlier that may have been one of the reasons why roderick hated him so much it's because he was soft yeah 
and we didn't really get those indications before in the episode, I don't think, or at least I didn't see them. And seeing him being charmed by another boy kind of clicks things together for me. Okay. Because that could have been indeed the reason why or one of the reasons mm. why he wasn't considered a proper correct he- Heir to the estate. Heir to the estate. I mean, also... Acceptable heir to the estate. Also, it's not surprising that Roderick, on top of being an asshole, also is a fucking homophobe. <laughs> of course. I mean, I mean <laughs> yes. What else? It, it feels very much on brand with every single thing that he's done. Could so you far. imagine him being a full-on asshole, but him being supportive of his son having a boyfriend? <laughs> like, yeah, sure. Jesus, imagine. <laughs> what are you fucking but, funny, sorry. Um, <clears throat> but th- this is what this moment gives me. Mm. And then he go inside and there is a noise happening and Alex goes to investigate and turns out that Ethel is prego. She is crying, she is pregnant, but she also collects herself very quickly because she is still Ethel, a very resourceful person. And as she tells Alex, she's going to be fine. She's going to be fine. It is none of his concern. It is not his problem to solve. She is going to solve her own fucking problems because that is what she has done her entire fucking life. She's a strong, powerful woman that can do anything. She takes the most valuable things inside the house and fucks off. And I am so there for it. The fact that Roderick stole those items and thus also fervent his fortune and now someone (laughs) else steals those items and part of his fortune is such a beautiful example of turnabout. Mm I am here for it. Because he's not the rightful owner so he doesn't deserve them anyway. I mean, that as well. But also, it's just like, karma is a fucking bitch, you know? It's beautiful. Ethel runs away, and Roderick does not take it well. Shocking, right? Yeah. And once he realizes that everything has been taken, he sends, of course, his servant after Ethel, but he also goes down into the basement to see how much Dream wants his items back. Essentially, again, we're getting to another point where I saw Dream getting out. And there is multiple situations where this could have happened. So uh, first... When he approaches the sphere, he's being very careless. So I was sure that Roderick was going to smudge the circle as he was by the sphere. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen. Then Alex has the eye contact thing with Dream again Mm -hmm. for a moment. And I was like, well, maybe this is the time when he's going to do it. Doesn't happen. Then Roderick and Alex get into a fight and Roderick fucking dies banging his head. And what I was convinced was happening is that he is passing out and Dream is going to enter his dreams (laughs) when he's passed out. And I was like, wait, what? And they're like, oh no, he's dead. I'm like, god damn it. Again, so close. I love the accidental petrocyte that happens here because Alex very much did not mean to kill his father. Yeah, but honestly, fair play to him. For once, he doesn't fuck up. He's going to back it up real, real fast, but... No, but the thing is, he did fuck up. He did not mean to kill his father. So this once again is a fuck up. He can't even not kill his father in the right way, you know? I mean, yes, in his his perception, yes. Exactly. But in my perception, I was... Yeah, but for himself, this is once again him fucking up. Once again, him doing the wrong thing. Once again, him being the fuck up, the the screw up, the one who can't do anything. So, yeah, great. And... We have the entire fight, and yes, I'm fully with you. This should have been another situation where the fucking circle should have been smudged, but didn't. So, okay, curious. And then, of course, 
Roderick is dead. And then we have the eye contact moment, the very prolonged one, and Alex walking closer to the sphere, also while stepping over the circle, not smudging the circle. What would your father say? Record scratch. Whoopsie, I need time to think. And so we get another lover boy scene where Alex is sitting there and Paul is showing up and, oh, how are you? And I'm not good because my dad died. And then we sit there and we hold hands and it's like probably supposed to be cute, but I... I literally could not care less about them. And to me, there is no chemistry or anything. And before I know that Paul in the end is the one that we love because he does the right thing, I'm like, fuck you, (laughs) go away. (laughs) Very specific opinions. And out of loss, new love was born. Now, we very briefly go to London because we find out that nine months later, a boy was born in London and we get Ethel's full name. Exactly. Ethel Cripps. And we find out that she named her son Johnny. So Johnny Cripps. I'm going to keep an eye out on that for that name in the future episodes because I don't know. I have a little inkling that that might be important. I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. We'll see. And she also has a line where she says that we are going to make our own dreams come true. Which... Given the fact that I expect most people not to remember dreaming is saying something. Because if dream has been captivated, it has been captive for so long and people are not dreaming in that time, I wonder how quickly people forget what it even is. Mm, That is a very curious question. To me, in this scene, there was one more thing. And considering how uneducated Roderick was when it came to dream, Mm -hmm. how uh, unknowing he was about his existence. How is it possible that Ethel's mom was telling her about a man with a sand, putting sand in her eyes and making her dreams come true? Did you not grow up with the stories of the Sandman that makes children sleep? Okay, that is a children's tale in Germany. Oh, okay. The Sandman is a a classic mythical creature. That is why in the morning when you wake up, you have sand in your eye like the grit in your eye when you wake up in the morning is sand yeah we don't call it sand in Czech in Czech it's called like a a tired bits or like sleepy bits yeah like literally we say sleep in the eye but what puts it there is literally like the German word also is Sandmann, Sandman. Mm, and we even had we even had a kids show in eastern Germany that is uh Sandman, uh, dear little Sandman, um, we're so tired. Come by through the window and put sand in our eyes and so we can sleep. Like we that grew up with this. This is completely normal. Um, so I'm super Never surprised you guys don't have that. Nope. Oh my god. This is why god. I was like, how does Ethel know of existence of dream? She doesn't know of when... dream. She knows of the Sandman. Yes, but like. In my mind, it's yeah. the same person. Here it is. Because I don't have yes. the regular association with the Sandman because I've never, ever heard of that. That is so wild. Okay, damn. Maybe maybe my first devil to the details needs to be on the Sandman. <laughs> okay, so we know she has the items, but I also think that she is like not just resourceful, but also she stole the grimoire. And I think that she is actually paying a lot more attention to all the details. Like she is less arrogant and thus she is 
more willing to learn from every tiny tidbit of information that she can gather. Mm-hmm. So I think she has more because potential she's a woman. than Roderick. Because mm-hmm. arrogance usually harms mostly yourself. So True. very much here for it. We go back to the castle and for reasons that I don't understand, maybe you can explain it, Alex is bringing down his boyfriend to show their unwilling guest. Why? I think this is his attempt of being a good person, doing it differently than his father did, because he clearly has been talking to Paul about his grief and about his life and about his struggles and and trauma. So he told Paul about Dream being in the basement. Do you think Paul asked to see Dream or do you think Alex said, let me take you there? Based on what happens next, I think Paul asked. It's the driving force. I can live with that. Yeah. That is good. It's because he says you have to keep trying. Mm. So I think it's his initiative to come down there because ideally for Alex mm. I think just because he is dealing with a lot of trauma and his father died there and stuff. He wasn't ready or he didn't expect himself to ever go down there mm. again because he out of sight out of mind kind of living in denial trying to pretend that the problem doesn't exist therefore I don't have to deal with it Mm -hmm. and Paul is trying to help him as much as he can to get through it and actually live a normal life Mm. so I think that he is very much inclined to try to figure out a way to let Dream go and I also think that the whole offer of if you promise that me and Paul are going to be okay I will let you go I promise I think that is coming from Paul as well but I also think that the offer is genuine Yeah, no, I think that he truly believes it. I kind of have to say, as much as I am here for Dream being petty and begrudging the murder of Jessamie. Yes! I also feel that this is prolonging this situation more than was necessary. So at the end of the episode, we see that Dream goes back to the dreaming and how much in disarray it is and everything. I feel this could have been the moment to end this before it got as worse as it apparently has gotten at the end of this episode. So up to this moment, Dream was faultless. This is the moment where part of the responsibility falls upon him. Yes, and... (laughs) Well done. (laughs) A little improv there for you. Yes, I love that. (laughs) I think he regrets it in hindsight. Based on the phrasing that he does when he does the voiceover, Mm. I think there is a certain amount of regret... I don't think that he would change it if he would have been forced to do it again. But I think that he realizes that this is something that could have, could have, not would have, but could have made it better. But he only sees it in hindsight where where he's telling us the story. I think he acknowledges that there could have been a different outcome. But I don't think he actually regrets it because I think he actually cared for Jessamy that much. Oh no, absolutely. That he's like, the balance is fair. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. This is why I'm saying I think that he would not change it, but I think that he understands that it could have been different. I'm just like, I'm I'm just brittling at the word regret. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, yeah, I get it. Understanding, acknowledgement, I'm on board. Regret, I'm wagging my finger with. (laughs) Waggy, waggy, waggy. Jessamy, too important. Mm, True. And I agree. Honestly, I'm right there with him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know if, if they can break promises. We don't know that. So if he could break a promise... Then he should have lied to him. Yes. He could have like tried to say, I will not harm you. But technically, he doesn't harm him in the end either. He just gives him a gift of eternal sleep. Well... So his body remains unharmed. Yeah. uh, It's... 
lawyers so speak. I mean, and he could have done that. That's the question. If Dream or if the Endless were fairies, were she, then probably he mm. could have done that. But they're probably not she. So, you know, they're different. Yeah, we don't have enough information Yet. to recommend yes. a, Bet- better a journey course for, of action. for him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So they fuck off because Stream is literally telling them to fuck off without saying as much. And we fast and forward in time. And now we have old man Alex, who is still there and who's still together with Paul. And as little as I care about them, it is cute that they're still together. Like, I have to acknowledge that. It is cute. (laughs) And you can tell how much the ages have changed. The times have changed. Because when they originally come into the prison, he introduces Paul as his friend. Yeah. And now basically the first thing that Paul says, come on, darling, sit down. So they can be open about their relationship now. Love that. We have him standing very similarly, actually, to his dad at the sphere pleading with Dream, talking bullshit that I don't even have the need to go into. And at some point he's like, I'm not gonna be coming back down here. And he sits down in his wheelchair and Paul hesitates for this beautiful half second. And then he drives the wheelchair willfully over the circle and he smudges it and he pushes it away and then he looks over his shoulder. And that to me was the most important moment, the look back. The deliberation of it all. Exactly. After I've seen this for the first time, I wasn't 100% sure if he did it on purpose. But when I was watching it again, I paid really close attention to his body language. Before he drives the wheelchair away, Mm. he gives Dream a very significant look. Then he does that. As you said, the stopping, looking back, and not just looking at Dream, looking down to make sure that the circle is broken. Yeah. Fucking chef's kiss. Very deliberately turning away and walking away. So I was very much here for that. And then, of course, we go into one of my absolute favorite scenes because they fuck off, the nurse tailing behind them, and so we are left with two of our guards, a male and a female guard, who are having a bit of bantering, and the female guard is referring to Dream as one of them Draculas. <laughs> and I mean, I cannot blame her looking at Tom Sturridge in that. It's so good. Because they obviously don't know who he is. Yeah. Like, you hire the people from outside agency or something it's like that. It's a need-to-know basis. Exactly. They don't need to know who he is. They just need to know their responsibilities and take them seriously. And the whole transition as well at this point, the way she speaks, her accent, their clothing, all of that is showing where we are in time. I loved the way this was done. It, it just really brought me joy. And then obviously the male guard starts talking about Mallorca. Ah, the beach. And the beach. Yes, he's going to be stinking of sunscreen. Yep. And... Ed Beach. Ed Teach from the beach. Yeah, Edward Teach. Born on a beach. If you didn't know, we finally watched Our Flag Beans Death. It was glorious, but we had too many tensions already, so we're not talking about that. (laughs) Not today. We go into a dream, and he takes a long while to catch on and it actually took me quite a few watches of this episode to realize that because Dream has been in prison for over a hundred years and these people are middle-aged, when they were born there were no dreams. This guard has never experienced a dream. He has no way of knowing that he is dreaming. And the same goes nearly as much for Alex, because Alex was a child. So for a hundred years, because basically all of his life, or nearly all of his life, dream has been imprisoned. So 
even if he had a memory of what a dream is, it would be very vague. I find that really, really curious that basically the entire world forgot how a dream works, you know? So that was mm -hmm. cool to me. And then, of course, we get the whole, like, shootout and everything. And we get the first moment that I referenced at the beginning with Dreamer squatting down and blowing sand into his face. Do you think it was important for the guard to dream about a beach so there would be sand that the Sandman can use? Uh, no. But I actually do wonder where Dream has the sand that he, later in the real world, blows towards the two guards to put them to sleep. He took it from the dream. If yes, then you are right and it was a necessity that there is sand in the dream. On the other hand, could he have manipulated the dream to have sand no matter what the dream is about? Because we don't know how many powers do like inherently belong to dream and how many mm -hmm. of the powers are connected to his items of power because we know he has a pouch of sand which obviously so I would many assume so little time it would, so obviously I would assume that he doesn't make the sand but he has the sand in the pouch but the way this is set up, it seems that he creates the sand. It's a bit like the different versions of Spider-Man where sometimes he has to like engineer the webbing and in some he like naturally produces the webbing. So it's like, okay, does he make the sand? Does he create the sand? Does he like doctor up the sand? Like, Interesting. Yeah, that's a good question. Shooting the sphere, breaking the glass, blowing the sand. And now, of course, so beautiful. he finally is free. And we get a moment that I know for sure is 100% taken from a comic. The portal opening and him like... The arching, the arching of the body that is a direct frame from the comic. And it is so Amazing. beautiful. It's so stunning. Yes. So I'm, I'm very much here <sighs> for it. I was loving the escape. And of course, before Dream can do anything else, he needs to make sure that the one person that is still alive, mm. that was responsible for him being locked away for so long. Sleep of the just. So Alex wakes up. He thinks. He thinks. And it took me surprisingly long to realize that this is a dream. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, surprisingly long. It, I realized before he turns young again, I think that I realized the second I saw that there was a cat because why would there be a cat? Like, there was no indications of them being cat people. Like, gay does not make you a cat owner. No, they're horrible people, so they don't get to have cats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Paul is a nice person. So Yeah, so now Paul can Paul's have a cat, cat but... now that Alex is gone. Or preoccupied. <laughs> Alex is not gone. He's not harmed. He's just asleep forever. Yeah, so you can cuddle with his husband. Okay, fine. Mm. Oh, oh. <laughs> Vegetable. <laughs> Sorry. Consent is important. Anyway. Consent was already given. Um, <laughs> I said cuddle, okay? Nothing else. <laughs> Don't know where your mind went. I'm not like propagating something close to necrophilia, okay? Yeah, basically Alex gets out of the bed <laughs> and we realize fairly early on that this is a dream, that he's not really awake. And he turns into the young fella that we've been watching the entire episode. So it makes it a little bit easier for us to understand what's going on. And he goes up these stairs to follow a cat that jumps up on a chair. And then suddenly, and I'm assuming this is also a frame taken from the comic, the cat is gone and Dream is sitting there. And you see the silhouette you see the bushy hair and a glowing eyes. Oh, the fucking eyes. And it's such a powerful image. Mwah. Mm. Loved it so much. 
I think I have some Sandman here, so I can check if it's one of the earlier ones or whatever. Or You're just going to spoiler yourself, don't. It just happens to be the correct one. But this looked very comic book frame for me. And then, of course, we have the conversation where he decides on the correct punishment. And the punishment shall be a gift. The gift of eternal sleep. Which sounds surprisingly nice and harmless, I have to say. But is it... That's a question. Like, if the nightmares and dreams are busy otherwise, are they available to plague his endless or eternal sleep? Or is he just sleeping? I mean, he's tossing and turning when we see him, so he does not seem to be all that happy with the eternal sleep. But it sounds very harmless. I assume it's not as harmless as it sounds, but it does not sound too bad as a punishment, I have to say. Mm, it seems like it could definitely be worse. Yeah, right? So I'm, I'm not satisfied. <laughs> I want to say. Uh, you're even more vindictive than dreams, so... Yes, obviously. <laughs> I haven't lived as long. <laughs> Fair. We leave, finally, the fucking castle, and I hope we are never coming back. <laughs> uh, sure, we were not. I'm 100% sure we're never coming back. We find out that, obviously, and this is not surprising to me at all, the Corinthian is still on Earth, mm -hmm. and he can instantly realize and feel that yeah. dream was set free. It tracks that he instantly knows that now the status quo has changed so he needs to sort some shit out and it's like so fucking creepy this entire scene because like he has blood on the side of his eyeball like or mm -hmm. eye hole rather because there's nothing in there and his eyelids have teeth as we see and so obviously i have to ask the question why is there blood next to his eye hole did his eyelid teeth chew out the eyeballs of the other person and this is why he had blood there I will tell you my perception of this scene yes. because, again, I know nothing. I didn't see the teeth on the uh, eyelids. I saw something white. I thought it was just like an eyeliner situation. Oh my god! And so I wasn't really sure what was going on. But at this point, you don't actually see his eyes at the beginning of the scene. Or like, at least I didn't. And I just saw the blood... And there was something weird about his eyes or like the side that we saw. So I wasn't really sure if like he lost his eye. I wasn't aware that he doesn't have eyes at all. You need to go back and watch that scene. It's at uh, like 45 minutes. I watched it multiple times. Please look again at the fucking freaky eyes of the Corinthian. Because I refuse to suffer alone through this. <laughs> the only time I got to see the eyes at least a little bit better was when he's looking into the mirror. That is when you see them. Yes, but you see the blood before that. I start off thinking that it's his blood. Then I realized that it was not his blood. So it looked like a blood spray or blood splatter. So at that point, I realized that the person he's talking to is dead. Then he says, I'm going to make as many people to my image as possible or something like that. And at that point, I realized, oh, no, the person's not going to have any eyes. And sure as fuck, I was correct. And then we get the close up in the mirror. So luckily for me, I didn't notice that it's fucking teeth. Yeah. Um, um, anyway. So you, you legit did like to now not realize that. Nope. Till now. No clue. Then you're going to have to look at this picture because I refuse to suffer for this alone. <gasps> oh my god, she found the picture. I don't know why it's not giving a preview, so you need to click on the PNG, sorry. Show me. Oh god. Oh my god! Exactly! No, why? Exactly! <laughs> I thought that was 
has like smaller teeth or something. <laughs> this is absolutely no. Just no. We leave the fucking Corinthian with the fucking eyes and the fucking empty eye sockets. Uh, yeah, because now it is time to go back into the dreaming. Dream wakes up in the dreaming and Lucien knew when he was in danger that he was not gonna come back and she also knows instantly the moment he is back and she is coming there and he seems genuinely happy to see her like when he opens his eyes and looks at her and the way he says her name is Aww. hot i mean oh no like to me this was sweet this was like seeing <sighs> yeah. a long lost dearest friend like yeah. this was so I loved it. beautiful to me it was amazing and in a danger of sounding like somebody who just watched two seasons of our flag means death <laughs> within 12 hours this gave me some flashbacks not the ending but the whole running across the beach sand everywhere somebody <laughs> lying on the beach you know like that whole situation but with that out of the way it was very sweet it was very caring from both sides yes and she helps him up and he accepts honestly i was just losing my mind because he is a very beautiful man and the way he holds himself and the coats and everything at that point it was a very thirsty moment the posture goes so well with the shape of the coat as well yeah and it was a very thirsty moment for me okay it didn't make it to the very top but a uh, visual situation that was happening there was working very well for me i was too busy with the sweetness to notice any hotness yeah, rewatch, it's there. Um, <laughs> I, I believe you. And so we make our way to the gates of the Dreaming, where we once again see the gate, and we also once again have the full-on fisheye lens, distorted corners and everything. Like, obviously it happened throughout the entire episode, but I just want to use the last chance to point it out. And so mm -hmm. we go through the door, see more details, and then we see the Dreaming. And the Dreaming is in a terrible state. I love how Lucien is like, um... The realm and the palace are not exactly as you left them. And then the understatement of that sentence when it opens. The thing is, this is exposition for the audience of something that Dream already should know. So this is actually the one thing that doesn't work for me. He knows that him and the Dreaming are related. He knows that he made the Dreaming. He knows that his creatures need regular reigning in by him. He knows he was gone for a hundred years. None of this should come as a surprise. Maybe the severity of it, but not mm. the being of it. And so this I is the one moment that does not work for me like literally the only one singular moment i think you said it i think it's mostly the severity of it i think that he expected there's going to be work to be done mm, didn't but read like that even with what lucien says she goes it's not as you left them and he's like expecting it kind of like yeah, yeah yeah that's fine and then he opens the door and see the actual state of it and that's where he turns around and says what happened here yeah, but the question of what I mean, happened here what is happened here? what my issue is based upon. Because he knows what happened here. You got fucking captured by a fucking amateur. You were gone for a fucking hundred years. And this is what happens when you do not rule your subjects. Yeah. So that was literally my only issue. Otherwise, the exposition that Lucien gives us here is beautiful. Because we not only get the exposition, we also get like some hints that there also has been issues with like some other endless. And blah, 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 blah. I'm here for that. Just not for the... Mm. 
setting up of this type of exposition. Yeah, it is pretty great. And he ends this episode. He says, I made it once. I will make it again. Yes. And he vows that he's going to bring all the dreams and nightmares from the waking world back. And he's going to make sure that everything's going to go back to what it's supposed to be. This is the uh, mission that we're getting for the season. Yeah, this is our seasonal story. This is going to be our focus. And to me, it's also very obvious that the Corinthian is going to be like the big bad or something of the season. Because he seems to be more savvy than anything else not that we've seen anything else i mean that also needs to be pointed out we have literally not seen a single of dream or nightmare we only have seen the Mm -hmm. fucking corinthian that's it and so if he isn't the big bad whatever is in store for poor dream is going to be so much worse Mm -hmm. and if he is the big bad it's already fucking disgusting so (laughs) it's like damn you can't win fucking hell yeah (laughs) oh my god even so much worse than i ever expected I couldn't even dream of something nightmarish like that. But um, this? Mm-hmm. I see what you did there. What a fucking opener. Holy shit. I was tricked so many times into thinking that he'll manage to get out of there. And every single time I was more heartbroken than before when it didn't happen. As I said multiple times during this episode, I have no idea what's coming. But I already have a very strong favorite. <clears throat> One specifically. <clears throat> that isn't dead. <clears throat> Dream. Uh, so this and here show... was like, Ethel Lucien. <laughs> wow. Okay, this sorry. This show better deliver something amazing. <sighs> oh, that that's it. Okay, sorry. Um, That, that, uh, <clears throat> the interrupters. Um... <laughs> I had not realized that we are missing base childhood experiences. (laughs) And I also had not realized that you knew literally nothing. So a lot of the expectations and predictions that you already made just within this episode made this episode a lot better. Because as obviously exhausting the confusion sometimes is when we are like what are you talking about the moment we realize what the other is talking about it's so fucking beautiful so i think we're in for a fucking wild ride and this is going to Mm -hmm. be very interesting because this much of a difference in the base setting i don't think we ever had as for me i know the audio drama i know bits and pieces of the comic i know a few episodes i know the overall story i know the overall character cast basically but i did not pay too much attention to the show and just watching episode one, I already had to stop myself to not go into a fucking deep dive on everything behind the scenes, on researching everything, on looking up how they did this, how they made this. For example, with Tom Sturridge looking the way he did, is all of this method acting, what part of it is CGI, because like it instantly makes me think of Christian Bale and the Machinist, where he like starved himself down and had health issues because of it, and like, like I'm... Basically, my brain is on 17 different construction sites right now. (laughs) And I would love to deep dive every single one of them. And I'm going to have to work really hard to not do that. Because I know if I do it, I will keep bringing it up and then you will murder me. Because every single one of our episodes is going to turn into like three hours. So... I will hold back, but I might have to talk you into doing a deep dive episode for behind the scenes stuff, separate from our summoning episode, which I already mentioned. I think it's hilarious that we do a summoning episode, given the context of this show. <laughs> yep. I like it. As for the show itself, I think I have gushed enough about the amazing camera work. I really need you to go back and check out the music and confirm or deny 
that the music matches what I thought it does. Mm -hmm. It is so well done. Like, not just the angle and everything, but literally every single technique that we see. And mostly probably the ones we don't know because neither of us is like a pro when it comes to like the filming techniques. But every single tiny tidbit that I notice, I love. And I'm really, really curious how much more is going to happen on that level. Because the visual quality of this show is very different from anything else that we have watched. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm, I'm super fucking hype about that by itself. And then, of course, there's the fucking content of the episode. It is surprising how little actually happens in episode one. Right? I thought that the shit would hit the fun so much faster. Yeah, like this episode is an hour long, basically, and nothing happens. Dream spends 99% of this episode sitting naked in a glass bowl, which is a bit funny when you say it like that. I really hope that now shit is gonna pick up because I don't think Lucien can accompany Dream because she needs to mind the dreaming and if we take Lucien out of the running I literally only care about Dream and maybe a tiny bit of Ethel and that's it and I need more characters that I'm interested in that I like to be engaged in the show and if the next episode gives us as many characters I don't like as this one did then it's gonna be hard mostly for you Vero because you're going to have to suffer through it. But I am optimistic that it changes because I know a few characters that have to show up and I'm going to love them. And with this, we say thank you for listening to this way too long episode. Non-surprising, the first one is always the longest. Mm-hmm, that's what she said. Thank you. And if you enjoyed this, please follow us on our social media. You can find us on Blue Sky, on What is Left of Twitter, on Instagram. Search for The Apple of Truth or a TOT podcast. Usually it's not hard to find us or click the links in the episode description. If you want to hear all the bonus content, because yes, this is long, but I can guarantee you it is not as long as what we recorded. There is bonus episodes for our patrons. So if you go to patreon.com slash DAOT podcast and join on the second level, you will have access to that bonus. But on the first level, you have early access to episodes and a bunch of other stuff, random things that we drop into our feed, plus access to our Discord so you can directly talk to us and other fans and patrons. So please do check it out. We would love to have you. If that is too much for you, Please do leave iTunes reviews because, sadly, nothing is as important as a freaking Apple iTunes review, especially when a podcast starts covering a new show. So this is your call to action. We would be forever appreciative. And that is all for today, tonight. Until next time. Bye! Bye.